Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to this presentation hosted by the Center for Catholic Studies located at Durham University in Durham, England, a Center for Catholic Theology in the Public Academy. For more information, please visit our website at centerforcatholicstudies.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at CCSDHAM. The following is entitled Universities as Places of Encounter Between Faith and Culture and was a public conversation with His Excellency Cardinal Gianfranco Ravazzi, President of the Pontifical Council for Culture, and Bishop Paul Teague, Secretary of the Pontifical Council for Culture, Professor Paul Murray and Dr. Stefano Cracolici, with a response by Professor Karen Kilby. This was the Bishop Dunn Memorial Lecture 2018, which was presented as part of the Ushaw Lecture Series and the conference marking the 450th anniversary of the founding of the English College at Dowie, entitled 450 Years Pioneering Catholic Education, Past, Present, Future held at Ushaw College. Thank you, Peter. Um, I'm Paul Murray. I'm Dean Director of the Centre for Catholic Studies at, um, within the Department of Theology and Religion at the University. Uh, firstly, I wish to welcome you all to the 2018 Bishop Dunn Memorial Lecture. And um, I recognise I'm doing that in the context of a conference, which many of you have been attending the past two days, a conference and wider celebrations for the 450th anniversary of the foundation of the English College at Dawei, the forerunner to this venerable institution. So I think it's um, important to start with a word of thanks uh, on your behalf, the conference goes, to Dr. James Kelly, who has organized this um, event, to the speakers, uh, to Teresa Phillips, who has um, meticulously ensured that this has happened so smoothly, and to Simon and um, Isaac, who have uh, been helping with that, so thank you to you. Uh, next, I want to start with a word of congratulations on behalf of the University and the Centre for Catholic Studies um, to the Bishop Trustees, many of whom are assembled here. We've got a good a throng, a college, a, a mini college of bishops with us this evening. Um, the President, uh, Honorary President, and the Directors and Staff of Ashaw. Um, we uh, in the CCS have just been uh, very glad to celebrate 10 years of existence. So we're kind of in awe of you celebrating 450 years of existence um, here at Special. And um, most significantly, perhaps, the fact that you are still here seven years after the seminary function closed in 2011. And uh, not just still here, but actually moving into a, a real period uh, a fresh period of thriving with um, becoming a great centre for Catholic cultural heritage. So it's really remarkable. Um, in one sense, we are celebrating one story over 450 years. In another sense, we're celebrating a story with at least two, and I think now three, significant phases. The, the story, the first major phase of that story, which is the founding of the English College in Dowey, Cardinal Allen and um, colleagues, and then um, at the late 18th century, the um, re-establishment, the, the, the return to England, and the establishment at the turn of the 19th century here at Ushaw. Um, so that's two phases. Well, now we have a third phase, which is this uh, wonderful endeavor to, um, to open up a great center of Catholic cultural heritage. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's a pattern there, isn't there? There's a pattern that we need to recognize, and some of you will have heard me play upon this before. The pattern of intense challenge and crisis. 
being met by uh, vision and founding and new ventures. And that keeps happening time and time again. We really shouldn't be surprised by either of those aspects of that pattern. Challenge is a constant, but so also is the assurance of the gifting of the spirit who will open new things, new ventures, new possibilities, new fields of mission, new institutions that will help us uh, move into the, the opportunities as well as the challenges of a new phase. And I think really with uh, this new phase of Usher's existence and also the development of the Centre for Catholic Studies within the <coughs> university, we have two complementary news, two complementary news in Catholic uh, mission and an institutional shape formation uh, here in the, the, the north of England. Uh, there's a complementarity between these endeavours. There always has been and will continue to be a great complementarity between what's happening at Ushaw and what's happening in the university. And that complementarity is symbolised, uh, not just symbolised, embodied most significantly perhaps in the endeavour to establish this great residential research library, the Durham Residential Research Library, bringing together the three great libraries of this uh, area. Um, if that's a vision that excites you, if the, if the, if the Usher vision and what's happening in the universe, if those, are, if those are visions that excite you, then we ask you to join with us in prayer for their support. We ask you to, for those who have means, to join in direct support. And you know, Roger Kelly will welcome uh, seeing you and uh, hearing of these imaginative ways in which you can support. And we ask you to support by thinking of others with whom you can put um, the Usher um, staff and people at the university in contact to help us realize the potential of this vision. The next thing I want us to do is to introduce this, um, this event, the Bishop Dunn Memorial Lecture, to remind us what this is all about. Um, Ten years ago and more, when we were in the process in the University of seeking to establish the first endowed chair in Catholic theology um, since the Reformation and seeking to establish more formally what had been working in for me as a Centre for Catholic Studies, but to have that formally established by the University. Bishop Kevin Dunn was um, not just a great friend, he was a, he was a leader in this, that um, without his visionary leadership, um, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't have been able to set out on that road so confidently and with remarkable support from the diocese and in turn the Sisters of Oakley and the Sisters of Lara Trett. Um, when Bishop Kevin um, sadly died, um, untimely one might think, in 2008 after um, his um, kidney uh, disease became um, uh, critical, the university responded immediately by speaking with um, then, um, uh, then Father Cunningham, the apostolic administrator, uh, to say that the university wished to establish an annual lecture in memory and tribute to Bishop Kevin, and the trustees supported that. Um, the, the purpose of the Bishop Kevin Dunn Memorial Lecture is really to bring um, the riches of Catholic intellectual endeavor sometimes directly theological, um, sometimes more widely across Catholic um, intellectual endeavor, uh, and to bring uh, what I suppose is an Americanism, uh, you know, the thought leaders of Catholicism, to bring them uh, here to um, Durham. Many of these lectures have taken place here in this, this lecture theater. 
and to um, share that with the various constituencies of university and church and wider public. Um, uh, Bishop Seamus has been a faithful president, uh, presider over these lectures throughout the 10 years we've thus far been running them. And, um, knowing that uh, you, um, you're keen to have your bags packed and move into a different phase of ministry and existence, Bishop Seamus, lest this end up being the last um, Bishop Kevin Dunn lecture over which you preside, may I thank you personally again for all the tremendous support you've given over these years and to the Centre for Catholic Studies. Um, perhaps we'll find a way of celebrating you and naming something after you one of these days if, you're, uh, if your successor will allow us. Um, this year uh, it is just with enormous pleasure uh, and delight that I um, welcome formerly amongst us His Eminence uh, Cardinal Gianfranco Rabassi and um, Bishop Paul Tai, um, President and Secretary respectively of the Pontifical Council for Culture. Um, this, this really is a delight. This evening is going to be wonderful, but we've been enjoying um, thus far 24 hours in your company. It has been um, delightful, um, extending, informative, and inspiring. So I know that this evening is going to have uh, those qualities also. Um, um, Cardinal Rabassi uh, is a priest of the Archdiocese of Milan. He's a, a scripture scholar, a very significant scripture scholar, a former prefect of the Ambrosiana, which is one of the truly great libraries in the world. So um, we're also dealing with somebody who is a, a voracious reader. In fact, I throw out a challenge for if anybody here can find a book that Cardinal Rabassi has not read, um, <laughs> you, you, your name will be great in the, 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 uh, the annals of Durham. Um, he's a, a true bibliophile, an intellectual with remarkable range. Um, I've heard him referred to as an intellectual omnivore. Okay? So this is great for a conversation about um, uh, universities as, a, as places of encounter, privileged places of encounter between faith and culture. Conor Abbas is also, uh, complementing this remarkable range of learning, is also a, a trained journalist. So uh, knows how to communicate and to do so directly. So this is a wonderful combination. Um, uh, um, Bishop Tai um, Bishop is a priest of the Archdiocese of Dublin, uh, a lawyer by training before joining the priesthood, an ethicist in training in priesthood, and a former teacher in the Diocesan Archdiocesan Seminary. Um, uh, Bishop Tai. Uh, was secretary to the Council for Social Communications from 2007 and joined the Council for Culture in 2015. Is regarded as a truly gifted communicator as I've experienced myself over the last 24 hours. To have either one of Cardinal Rabassi and Bishop Paul Tai with us this evening would be a treat. Um, to have them in combination is an extraordinary, um, is an extraordinary gift to us. Um, it's a superabundance of good things that we have to look forward to, and it's a privilege and a joy. Uh, we welcome you both warmly. Um, this evening's format is going to be slightly different. Rather than it be a straight 45-minute lecture, it's, it's conversation. Uh, it's a conversation, a flowing conversation, where I will offer. Um, uh, I'll, I'll offer prompts for Cardinal Rabassi and Bishop um, Tai to, to play upon. 
Um, and Colin Robassi will, uh, will generally be responding in, in Italian, and uh, we're very grateful to our good colleague in the Center of Visual Arts and Culture, uh, Dr. Stefano Cracolici, who will be um, uh, interpreting, translating for us, and uh, on occasion with assistance from Bishop Tai. Um, and then there'll be opportunity for open conversation and dialogue. And then we'll round the evening out with um, Professor Karen Kilby, who's going to offer five or so minutes reflection. Given the fact that this is a kind of start of a conversation, we thought um, Karen would very helpfully focus our minds on some of the jewels which we shouldn't uh, lose sight of and that we should uh, continue to play upon into future conversations. So without further ado, if you could just bear with me for a moment while I transition from um, upright to seated. So um, perhaps your eminence and Bishop Tai, you, you'd like to start by um, each saying a little more about the, the work of the Pontifical Council for Culture and what distinguishes it, uh, what's the focus and range of its concern and it would be interesting, how does it differ, would, would help us understand, how does it differ from the, um, the, the, the dicastery for promoting the new evangelization headed by Archbishop Fisichella? Thank you. Amen. Innanzitutto vorrei anch'io ringraziare per l'accoglienza che ho ricevuto in questa vostra splendida città, in questa sede. First of all, First of all, I just would like to take the occasion to thank you all uh, for the welcoming I received in this beautiful city, and in particular in this venue. I knew, of course, to live in Rome, but still I found uh, uh, Durham, um, uh, an exciting city, uh, both uh, uh, because from, from a human perspective and from an aesthetic one. Eh, ringrazio in particolare il professor Paul Murray che è stato l'artefice di questo incontro e mi ha accompagnato in queste ore che ho trascorso nella vostra città. In particular I want to thank uh, professor Paul Murray who has always accompanied me in these uh, uh, while, while here in Dharma, and also is the artifacts, uh, the organizer of uh, this meeting. Ora rispondo alla domanda che mi è stata rivolta, ma per rispondere a questa domanda è necessaria una premessa. And now I try to answer to the question, uh, but uh, before answering the question, it is necessary that I a little preface. La premessa ha due percorsi. Il primo è attorno a una parola, la parola cultura. Uh, my premise has two uh, different angles. The first one uh, revolves around the word culture. E la seconda invece percorso riguarda la conoscenza umana, la parola conoscenza. And uh, the second aspect concerns the word knowledge. Human knowledge, the word knowledge. Cominciamo con la seconda. La conoscenza umana di sua natura è polimorfa. Um, let's start by the second one. Uh, 
uh, human knowledge by its nature is polymorph, multifaceted. Noi non conosciamo con un unico canale che per esempio è quello razionale. Uh, we don't know only uh, by means of one channel that for instance is the rational one. Noi conosciamo anche per esempio attraverso il canale estetico. We also uh, know uh, and acquire knowledge via an aesthetic channel. La poesia ha rivelato, o l'arte, hanno rivelato tante verità sulla persona umana che non erano state percepite solo attraverso la scienza. Poetry and art have revealed aspect um, of uh, um, the human being, of humanity, that have not been properly formulated or understood via uh, uh, reason. Or science. science. Per esempio, anche la conoscenza teologica, filosofica, è una conoscenza che si interessa del fondamento delle cose, mentre la scienza si interessa del fenomeno, della scena esteriore. Now, for instance, if you're thinking of the theological approach to knowledge, uh, theology is looking for the foundation of things, while science is looking at the um, phenomenic, uh, this is a word, dimension of them. Proprio per questo, allora, anche il concetto di cultura è polimorfo. And uh, for this, uh, also the concept of culture, world culture, is multifaceted. La parola cultura è stata inventata dai tedeschi nel 1700. Yes, the word culture has been uh, invented, formulated for the first time by the Germans in the um, 18th century. Sulla base di un verbo latino, colere, che vuol dire coltivare. On the basis of the Latin verb, colere, which means cultivate. Ora, in latino, nel latino, cioè nella classicità, la parola cultura non esisteva, è usata da Cicerone una sola volta col significato di agricoltura. Now, in the, the classical world, uh, the word culture did not exist. Uh, it has been used only once by Cicero, but only in the moment in which he was talking about agriculture. Cultura dei campi. Sì, the culture of uh, uh, fields. Il vocabolo latino è significativo per comprendere l'attuale concetto di cultura. The Latin word is uh, uh, significant for understanding the current meaning of culture. Humanitas. Humanitas avvolge l'intera persona, non soltanto come pensavano i tedeschi nel Settecento, la parte alta del cervello. The word humanitas in Latin, humanity or humanities, um, reveals a holistic approach to, uh, to knowledge, not only the mental one as the German purported in the 18th century. La cultura è perciò una attività umana trasversale. Culture is therefore a human uh, activity that is transversal, horizontal. 
Tant'è vero che noi parliamo anche di cultura industriale. And we can also speak of industrial culture, for L'operaio che lavora con un certo criterio, con una certa passione, anche l'oggetto più semplice compie cultura. Even the worker in a factory um, working according to a certain criterion, following a certain uh, uh, paradigm, is indeed producing culture. Concludo questa lunga premessa con una frase significativa di una persona assolutamente ineccepibile da questo punto di vista. I conclude this preface, this premise, um, with a phrase of a person who is uh, um, certainly undoubtedly beyond any kind of ideological description concerning this thematic. Steve Jobs, il fondatore di Apple, Nell'anno in cui è morto, nel 2011, ha tenuto un discorso molto popolare agli studenti dell'Università di Harvard. Steve Jobs, the uh, inventor or uh, of, uh, founder of Apple, um, the year in which he died, he, um, held, he held a, um, a speech to uh, the student of Harvard. E disse in quell'occasione è necessario il matrimonio, il connubio, tra umanesimo e tecnologia. And in that occasion he asserted that it is necessary uh, a union, to find a union between humanism and technology. Il mio ideale è per eccellenza l'ingegnere rinascimentale. Uh, my ideal, uh, also mine, is, uh, um, for instance, uh, the, uh, the, the paradigm of the Renaissance engineer. Solo se noi uniremo più dimensioni, noi faremo cantare il nostro cuore, diceva. Only if we are able to uh, link together different dimensions, then we will be able to make our hearts sing. Questo è difficile ora da far comprendere in una società che ha dato il primato alla tecnologia. It is difficult to make this particular point understood in a society that has given the primacy to technology. E per questo motivo allora il Pontificio Consiglio della Cultura non si interessa soltanto delle arti e delle scienze. And it is for this reason that the Pontifical Council of Culture is not only interested in the relation between art and sciences. Noi ci interessiamo anche, per esempio, di economia, di sport, di dialogo tra credenti e non credenti, di musica, musica dei giovani e così via. We are also concerned with uh, economic issues. Um, with sport, uh, with youth culture, with music, with the dialogue between believer and non-believer. Uno degli ultimi campi in cui ci siamo interessati e che piace tanto al professor Krakowicz è il campo della fashion, della moda. One of the most recent field area that we have explored uh, is the field of fashion. Perché è uno dei linguaggi col quale le persone comunicano. Because this is one of the languages through which 
Il vestito non è semplicemente per coprirci dal freddo o dal caldo. Uh, the, our dresses uh, are not just there to cover us or protect us from cold or warm. Basta vedere l'abito che ho. <laughs> you just need to see my current knees. <laughs> Come gli abiti femminili, però. Well, in the same way as, uh, as feminine dresses. E per questo motivo la differenza ora, e concludo, la differenza col Pontificio Consiglio dell'Evangelizzazione è abbastanza sostanziale. And for this reason, the distinction between the Pontifical Council of Culture and the Pontifical Council of Evangelization is quite a substantial one. Perché il Pontificio Consiglio dell'Evangelizzazione si interessa della catechesi della formazione dei credenti nella verità della fede. Because uh, the duty of the Pontifical uh, Council of Evangelization um, is mainly concerned with faith and uh, uh, the relationship to the faithful. Catechesis. And the catechesis. Catechesis. E mentre il nostro approccio è quello della inculturazione, entrare al confronto di altre visioni del mondo presentando in maniera alta la nostra concezione. Yes, well, our task um, is in fact to enter into dialogue with a, a different culture while um, showing, presenting our position in the best and more um, uh, in the best possible way. Una delle degli esempi più significativi è proprio questo uh, parte del nostro dicastero che si chiama è stato chiamato Cortile dei Gentili. And one of the most significant outcome or um, embodiment of these of these uh, ethos is uh, um, one aspect of the political concept of culture which is called the courtyard of the Gentile. Che è un simbolo preso dal Tempio di Gerusalemme dove potevano accedere anche i pagani, gentes. Which is basically a figure that has been taken or inspired by the Temple of Jerusalem. It was a space in which also pagan people could come and engage in a dialogue. In questo spazio in cui ci sono i pagani e cioè i non credenti oggi e noi e dialoghiamo. Il dialogo è fondamentale. This is, a, uh, this is an open space in which indeed believer and non-believer can meet and engage in a conversation. Exchange and dialogue is for us fundamental. Se mi permette il professor Mori aggiungo. La parola dialogo è una parola greca che significa, tutti sanno, un primo significato. In realtà ne ha due. Uh, il professor Mario allows me a uh, uh, coda. Um, the word dialogue is a Greek word that has in fact uh, two meanings. Il primo significato che tutti conoscono è dia, dia in greco, Logos, 
cioè di Atra, l'incrocio, l'incontro crossing, di due logoi, di due discorsi, di due visioni del mondo. The very first meaning is uh, uh, the encounter between two different worldviews. Noi abbiamo incontrato personalità diversissime, alte e anche grandi intellettuali con la loro visione diversa del cristianesimo. We have met uh, uh, very uh, remarkable uh, intellectuals uh, with uh, ideas completely different from ours. Ma facciamo anche un cortile dei bambini, cioè di famiglie credenti e non credenti o di famiglie in difficoltà. But this particular courtyard is also uh, welcoming children and families. Family who believe and family who do not. Facciamo coi magistrati, coi giudici, ma anche coi carcerati. We include in this courtier judges, but also prisoners. E sempre con le due visioni: magistrati credenti, non credenti, prigionieri credenti e non credenti. Always keeping uh, both parties. Believer and non-believer, so judges who believe or don't believe, or prisoners who believe or don't believe. Ma c'è un secondo significato che dicevo, dia in greco significa giù, scendere in profondità. But there's a second meaning of dialogue. Uh, dia in Greek means also going deep. E per questo che allora il confronto deve essere un confronto serio fondato con delle ragioni, ragioni da parte nostra, ragioni da parte della persona o delle figure che incontriamo. And this means indeed that the dialogue needs to be a serious dialogue, a dialogue that between, between two parties who do have um, a reason uh, behind what they say. Bishop mm -hmm. Tyler, would you like to comment on any of these? Yes. Um, so this takes a second or two, they told me. No, one of the things, I started working in the council two and a half years ago. And I'll be honest, it's taken me a while to get my head around and to understand exactly the mission and the responsibilities of the Council for Culture. I had worked in social communications. I was kind of task related. We had jobs to do, websites to build, apps to build. And that was kind of relatively straightforward. But one of the things that helped me to understand the council was that Council was born of the Second Vatican Council. And one of the inspirations of the Second Vatican Council was that the church would open up to the world and would see the goodness in the world. But we don't have somehow a monopoly on goodness and on God's closeness to people that we then dispense to the world. God is active, the Spirit is active in the world. And we try to embrace and appreciate the goodness of where human beings are flourishing because if human beings are flourishing, that's God at work. So that's an And then from Vatican II, as you know, there was a council for interreligious dialogue. There was a council then established for dialogue with the world's great religious, the non-Christian traditions. And then there was also a secretariat or a commission for dialogue with atheism. And that commission trans in a sense, probably, who represents atheism? Who speaks for atheism? It didn't have the same 
dialogue partners, as you can imagine, the other structures. With John Paul II, as I understand it, John Paul II had a sense that the dialogue with atheism, with non-belief, with people of different beliefs, is happening in culture, in how we build our societies, in how we live our lives, in how we build our understanding of what it is to be fully immersed in society. And that's one of the things for me that was a, was that culture, in a sense, is somewhat abstract. And a lot of our work then is declining that in various areas. So obvious ones, the dialogue between faith and science. For many people today, science, technology is going to save them. It's the, it's the model of what will make this world a better place. Science and technology has made the world a better place, but we think we may have other ways and richer ways at times that need to be brought in to that understanding of our world. I just give, we've worked, as I say, in a range of um, areas. One of the things, though, that I think the hallmark, and the Cardinal has mentioned the courtyard of the Gentiles. What the courtyard of the Gentiles is, it's almost like a franchise. And what, if you want to operate a courtyard of the Gentiles, you need to have is people who identify as believers and people who would identify as being beyond belief or not being believers. But they come together not to talk in the first place about belief and unbelief and why I believe and why you don't believe, but to talk about problems that we share. So it can be as about economics. It can be about how are we going to deal together with the environment? How are we going to think together about the world of sport, which is something that enriches human lives, but which at the moment we see is in crisis. Many of us find it difficult to have trust in sport any longer because of some of the values that have eroded our confidence in the goodness of sport. So I just give those. And for me, the thing that it is, is, and it, is that it's trying to create opportunities for people to come together, to exchange views, to go that little bit deeper, and essentially to go not immediately to argue about my rules against your rules or my norms against your rules, but what is it that makes human life worthwhile? What is it that amounts to being a good and healthy and positive life for people? What is it that helps me as an individual to be fulfilled? What is it, though, that enables society to flourish? And we try and address those deeper human questions together. And one of the things I think that why that's important is I, my area of specialization for the last 10 years has been that of digital culture, which we in the Vatican began embracing as something that had the potential to really enhance the unity of the human family. The experience of the last number of years of the polarization, of the division, of the manipulation of this media has made us aware of the risk of, in fact, something that should create the unity of the human family, should enable us to learn from each other, has maybe lost its way a little bit. And one of the things I think is important then is to create as many situations or contexts where people who might begin with suspicion of each other learn to actually talk to each other, to even more importantly listen to each other and develop a kind of a conversation. And one of the things we, this afternoon there was a talk which talked about the church authority and where authority is in crisis. But there's a Dutch theologian who has done a great thing about, he says, in our current world, authority comes, if you think of the digital space, whoever creates the platform 
where people gather and come together. And then whoever is able to moderate those conversations. So I think what the church is trying to do in this space is trying to enter into dialogue, at times trying to create the dialogue, get the conversation going, and then trying to ensure that that conversation is as, as inclusive as possible and that it's also done according to ways that will be healthy, that will allow people to learn and grow from each other. That's very helpful, your evidence and efficient time. Um, one of your um, staff colleagues, Richard uh, Rouse, helpfully um, glossed the um, um, courtyards of the Gentiles for me by saying, you know, in, in, English, uh, in an English context, maybe something like gardens of dialogue might help communicate uh, what's happening here. And, that, and each of you has emphasized that the place of dialogue. And what I hear in that is not simply that the, that the Catholic Church has things to teach, but the Catholic Church has a great deal to learn and then in, through this engagement. Uh, it's a, it is a genuine conversation and a genuine learning experience for all parties, which is very um, healthy, I think. I also hear in that something of a, um, of a Pauline uh, emphasis. You know, I, I sometimes um, like to uh, reflect on the different architectural imagery and the complementary difference between um, St. Peter's, the embracing arms of Bernini's colonnades, mm -hmm. gathering all into communion, mm -hmm. and then St. Paul's outside the walls, literally outside the walls, outward facing, engaged. It, it seems that in Catholicism, perhaps understandably, the Petrine comes more naturally to us. Uh, and I wonder what, why, why is that so? We desperately need the Pauline, but why, why does it not come as naturally to us as the Petrine? Eh, è molto suggestiva l'immagine di Bernini. Eh, ricordate tutti il colonnato del Bernini. It is particularly suggestive the image of Bernini. You certainly remember the, the colonnade of uh, St. Peter's Square. Siamo nel 1667. We are in 1667. Quindi in un periodo. Un periodo nel quale la tensione tra nell'interno del cristianesimo e tra le culture era forte. Bernini pensa di costruire in 11 anni Sono 286 colonne alte 16 metri. Pensa di costruire due braccia. Bernini thinks to uh, um, construct in only 11 years, uh, we're talking here about 286 columns, uh, two arms. E scrive in un suo diario, scrive, io sogno che nell'interno di questo spazio arrivino tutti i cattolici del mondo, arrivino i cristiani non cattolici e arrivino anche coloro che non credono. And in, uh, in nessun Dio. And uh, in one page of his diary uh, he revealed that uh, he wanted that particular uh, square to welcome uh, the Christian of all world, 
also those who are not Catholic, and also those who believe in different gods who are non-believers. Ora, noi sappiamo che il cortile è di sua natura non il palazzo della politica della scienza e non è neppure il tempio, è uno spazio col cielo libero. Now we know that the idea of the courtyard is not the palace, the palace of science, or the palace of the politics, but it's also not a temple. Um, it is something that uh, um, lives in open air. Nel quale i, il vento del pensiero passa liberamente. In which the wind of thoughts um, has the liberty of passing through. Ecco, e vorrei dire i temi fondamentali che noi trattiamo sono molteplici i temi. Tra questi io ricorderei prima di tutto i temi etici. Now, things that we are dealing with are uh, multiple. First of all, though, um, I would consider the ethical themes. Qui ci sono teologi, teologi anche moralisti, che sanno bene che per esempio ai nostri giorni il concetto di natura umana non è più condiviso. Here we have theologians and uh, uh, these theologians know very well that uh, the very concept of human nature is not a shared concept anymore. A differenza per esempio della classicità o della stessa teologia classica. Um, differently, for instance, from uh, uh, classical antiquity or classical theology. Pensiamo al concetto di verità. Let's think, for instance, of the concept of truth. Per Platone, la verità è una pianura nella quale il cocchio, il carro dell'anima, della persona, corre scoprendo sempre più orizzonti. According to Plato, for instance, the truth is a plane on which the chariot of the soul is running, moving, discovering more and more fields. Così nel dialogo in Fedro, Fedro di Platone. In the Fedro by Plato. Per cui la verità ci precede e ci supera. Therefore, truth is preceding us and is also surpassing us. Qual è il compito della persona? È la ricerca della verità. What is the task of a human person? Is the search for truth. La verità è nella visione, in questa visione, è una realtà trascendente che diventa personale con la ricerca. Truth is in this, uh, in this view uh, something transcendent that is transcending us that becomes concrete via the quest. Cosa avviene invece con la concezione moderna e contemporanea? What is happening if you're looking at truth for instance from a modern point of view? Comincia per primo nel 600 Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes nel Leviathan, la sua opera, 1641 mi pare, 
scrive una frase significativa. Thomas Hobbes, nel 17th century, scrive in his Leviathan una very significante frase. In latino, perché il latino era l'inglese di allora. In latino, perché il latino back then was the English of today. <laughs> Auctoritas, non veritas facit legger. L'autorità, 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 And therefore, power, power as a form of authority here, can decide um, uh, today that uh, a particular vision, something is true, and transform it to a norm. In questa luce, ai nostri giorni, una filosofa americana ha definito la verità come una ragnatela elaborata dal nostro interno, come fa il ragno. Um, recently, uh, an American philosopher, uh, she defined truth as a um, web spider that is moving out of the soul, as, as, as a spider does. Il disegno è anche affascinante. Se dovesse all'improvviso arrivare un colpo di vento, il ragno costruisce un'altra tela. Well, the image is fascinating, it's interesting, because if all of a sudden um, wind uh, will, uh, will arrive, the spider will construct another web. Quindi la verità, accanto a me c'è un altro ragno che ha la sua ragnatela. And therefore truth, well, close to me there is another spider who is producing another web. Il confronto semplicemente è l'elemento oggettivo, il confronto tra verità diverse. Uh, the most objective element here is only the confrontation between different forms of truth. Ho voluto parlare un po' a lungo degli esempi che sono di tipo teorico ed etico che si discutono nel cortile dei gentili. I just wanted to give you an example and, uh, and to linger on uh, um, on theme that are both at the same time theoretical and, uh, and practical that circulate as topics in the culture of Gentile. Pensate soltanto cosa vuol dire questo nuovo significato moderno di verità rispetto alla comunicazione informatica attuale. Think, for instance, what it means this new modern concept of truth in relation to um, the communication online. Ormai è entrato anche in inglese, nell'Oxford, nel dizionario Oxford, online, è già entrato la voce post-verità. Um, even the Oxford Dictionary has accepted the term post-truth. E la definizione è sostanzialmente questa. Una falsità ben diffusa e diventata comune, ripetuta, 
alla fine si trasforma in una verità oggettiva. And uh, definition is very simple. Something that is false, that is wrong, uh, in the very moment in which circulates and uh, is disseminated um, at a certain level of scale again and again and again, becomes a truth. E quindi parliamo poi di altri temi come sono quelli che evidentemente riguardano, poniamo, i bambini, che allora sono diversi i temi, come diversi sono i temi per i giovani. And of course we are dealing with different topics when we are talking about or to children or to youth. Diversi sono i temi che noi facciamo, per esempio, per i carcerati o i politici. Very different are the topics when we are dealing with prisoners or we are dealing with politicians. Abbiamo fatto persino un cortile dei gentili per i diplomatici. We made also a cortile of the gentiles for diplomatics, for ambassadors. E il tema aveva una battuta ironica. And the topic was ascribed with a joke or an ironic statement. Il diplomatico dice la verità solo quando è a corto di bugie. <laughs> the diplomatic uh, says the truth only uh, when uh, is out of resources with lies. <laughs> Eccetera, quindi qui adesso il discorso potrebbe continuare, però io vorrei che si comprendesse come su questi temi credente e non credente hanno degli interrogativi. Oh yes, I could continue with several topics, but I just want to give you the idea that with this selection of topics, believer and not believer start thinking or have questions. E la domanda è fondamentale per la scienza e per la fede. And the question, the ability of formulating the question is essential both for the science and also for faith. Io ho incontrato una volta nella vita uno dei maggiori scrittori francesi del secolo scorso, Julien Green. I met only one time in my life one of the greatest French writers of the past century, Julien Green. Non, non Graham. Eh? Sì, non Graham. <laughs> Io gli ho chiesto qual era la sua, cattolico, gli ho chiesto qual era la sua visione del cristianesimo nel cuore profondo. Well, he is a Catholic, was a Catholic, and he says, and uh, um, his eminence asked him, what, is, what was his vision of uh, Christianity um, in the deep sense of the world? Vissuto da una persona. Uh, lived and experienced by a person. E lui mi ha risposto con una battuta che è un po' difficile forse. Lui mi ha risposto dicendo si può stare, bisogna in pratica essere inquieti e solo se si è inquieti si può stare tranquilli. Oh, and, and he replied with a joke and he says we need to be restless and only through restlessness we can find peace. La connessione quindi della ricerca è fondamentale. 
Bishop Tai has already alluded to, there is something of a, a, reco a, a, a recovering and channeling of the, um, the deep instincts of Gaudium et Spurs at work in the work of the, uh, the Pontifical Council. And um, that sparks a number of different thoughts. I mean, one is, because um, sometimes Gaudium et Spurs and that line of approach has been criticized for over being over-optimistic. So that, that might um, lead us to ask, how, how do we do this well? How do we do it with discernment? What kind of tools do we need? Resources do we use for discerning well? And it also makes me reflect that um, that's somewhat different mood music than we were hearing in the previous two pontificates, where it would seem that sometimes the, the, the note that was to the fore was about the need to confront the, the, the ills of society and the cultures of death. But here we have a note about discerning what is of grace and of God in, in human culture and society. So uh, it'd be interesting just to hear you reflect on that a little. And is the work of this dicastery particularly in tune with the, the ethos of Pope Francis's pontificate? Um, sorry, this is coming. The courtyard of the Gentiles is actually the person who really challenged Cardinal Ravazzi to take that and to develop it was um, Pope Benedict. Right, okay. It's an image that he had used it many times, and and I think that's an important issue to bear. I think what we may have, I think partly what our approach is, there are things that may have to be said and hard things that have to be said at times and criticisms that, but I think it's like in a friendship. Mm -hmm. You first have to begin the conversation. It has to be clear to the other person that you have an interest in them, you have a concern for them, you're trying to share an understanding with them, and then in that context, it's possible to begin to also be more critical or raise perspectives of your own that are inherently going to put in questions the perspective of the other person. But I think it's, I think one of the things in our world today, I think the Vatican has to be very careful, or not just the Vatican, but the church and churches in general, to maybe surprise people by not being what the press wants us to be, the no-sayer. And I always think of an Irish novelist who began one of his novels about Catholicism. He said, at the beginning was the word, and the word was no. And, um, and that is, that Brian Moore, and that is, I mean, on so many things, there's an expectation that the church is going to be negative. And, and there are times that is part, but I think we begin, we have to surprise people by an openness, by an awareness, by a desire to learn from and to be sympathetic to what people are uh, moving with. And I think that relates to something Pope Francis has very strongly, is this notion he has of the church. We are on a journey, a pilgrim, with other pilgrims, not all of whom, as he would say it, have the joy and the happiness of knowing that we're loved by God yes. and have support and have care. And that's maybe even the, the Petrine, is yeah. we need to consolidate that sense of being a group of people who are blessed with, who have been touched and transformed by the sense of God's gracious love for us. And that then that makes us people who are less fearful, who are less threatened, and who can try and find ways of journeying with others. And we, I remember we had a meeting with Pope Francis at the Council for Culture, and he says, I don't understand this great new technology, but I want to give you three words. First word, he said, is I want you to listen. 
Listen to the people around you. Secondly, begin a conversation. And then the final one, he said, the hallmark of our conversation must be encouragement, to support and encourage people to find the goodness that's in them. So there are times, of course, when that honesty to another person, as with the good friend, sometimes the measure of a good friend is the person who's able to correct you are willing to tell you because they care enough about you to want to help you to find the correct approach or not to do damage to yourself or others. And that would emerge. But I think where it begins is with the authenticity of a sharing and a wanting to learn from the other that then gives you a right to express also issues that may invite the person to think further. Io vorrei fare un, un esempio concreto di questo stile che è stato definito che nasce col Cardium Espes e prosegue con Papa Francesco. I just would like to make an example uh, to further explain um, this uh, concept or this method that started with uh, the Cardium Espes and then, and then the most recent one with Pope Francis. E vorrei pensare a uno dei temi più delicati in assoluto, più complessi ai nostri giorni, il tema della scienza. Tre discipline in maniera particolare vorrei considerare. Three disciplines in particular I would like to consider che manifestano da un lato problemi gravi e dall'altra parte invitano a un approccio come quello che è stato descritto. Which on one side they present severe problems and on the other side they allow us to discern the method that was illustrated. Primo tema, la genetica cioè l'intervento che la scienza può fare sul DNA della persona. First of all, genetics, that is the intervention that science can perform on uh, the human DNA. Noi sappiamo che all'incirca ci sono 6.000 malattie possibili. We know that there are approximately 6.000 possible Uh, um, illnesses that are connected to the DNA. 500 possono essere guarite con un intervento sul DNA. 500 of them can be cured uh, through an intervention on uh, at the level of DNA. Quindi è una realtà positiva e dobbiamo affermarlo. Therefore this is a, a positive reality and we do have to assert it. E dobbiamo incoraggiare la scienza sempre più a rendere meno possibili queste sofferenze. Però la possibilità che ha l'intervento sul DNA è quello di creare progressivamente una figura umana diversa dall'homo sapiens sapiens. But the possibility that this intervention on the level of the DNA 
Um, you also have to consider that they can come up with a different definition of the human, uh, different from the Homo sapiens sapiens. Quindi un no è necessario, ma non è un no totale, come dice la religione impaurita, che ha paura. So, therefore, there is a no that uh, we can formulate, but it is not uh, a total no, uh, such as, for instance, a, a dogmatic religion or a dogmatic approach would have. Secondo esempio, le neuroscienze. Second example, the neurosciences. Il cervello, sappiamo, è una macchina straordinaria. We know that the brain is an incredible machine, extraordinary one. In questo cervello che pesa tra i 120, 170, 180 grammi. In, uh, in the brain that uh, weighs approximately 120, 180 grammi. Ci sono 100 miliardi di neuroni. There are 100 billions of neurons. Tante quante sono le stelle della Via Lattea. <laughs> As many are the stars of the uh, Milky Way. Quindi è un microcosmo. So it's a microcosm. Ora, intervenire è importante per molte sindromi e per molti limiti. So, Intervening at that level, it is important for many syndromes and also for many illnesses, for many limitations. Essendo il cervello la grande struttura che regge l'intero organismo. Being the brain, the big structure that organizes uh, the entire organism. Quindi dobbiamo incoraggiare la ricerca nelle scienze neuropolitiche. So we do have to encourage further in the science and neurosciences. Anche perché possono perfezionare le rese del cervello. Also because they can perfect um, the performance of the uh, uh, brain. Per esempio la memoria. For instance memory. Per esempio uh, superare certi limiti co uh, collegati all'Alzheimer. Which is going beyond or fighting uh, some limitation connected to Alzheimer. Però la tentazione dello scienziato è sempre di andare oltre. But the temptation of the scientist is always to go beyond. Di creare un cervello che sia sempre più sofisticato, capace di creare altro. To create a brain that is uh, uh, even more performant, able even to create something different. Ed ecco a questo punto le domande. Dov'è la libertà, la volontà, la responsabilità, l'animo, eccetera? So, and basically, here we have a question starting. Where is the will? Where is the concept of uh, uh, responsibility? Where is the soul in all this? E qui, credenti e non credenti, Possono dire anche no, effettivamente, a questa parte, ma non il no radicale al progresso della scienza. So, believer and not believer can, or uh, they can utter a no to uh, uh, this particular, uh, uh, this, this, this way of understanding science, but not to the totality. E terzo e ultimo lo evoco soltanto l'intelligenza artificiale. And at last, I just here, artificial intelligence. E quindi 
il la prezioso contributo che dà il robot alla vita quotidiana, all'industria, alle attività varie dell'uomo. And therefore I want to underline the utility of robots in, uh, in daily life. Ormai buona parte di interventi che sono interni all'organismo vengono condotti con dei minimi microscopici uh, robot, intelligenze artificiali. We know for instance that quite a lot of surgical interventions nowadays are conducted by um, però il desiderio di costruire una macchina con l'autocoscienza e questo l'algoritmo preparato fa sì che poi la macchina da sola possa decidere anche in situazioni eticamente complesse. Ho voluto allungare un po' gli esempi per mostrare come questo principio è un principio importante e complesso da declinare. I just wanted to uh, uh, tell you, formulate uh, various examples to you to, to, to show you how difficult it is, uh, it is to inflect this particular topic or inflect this particular method. Uh, that's extremely helpful. So I'm hearing about that, but in good Catholic fashion, it's. Um, a true, true um, dialogue of both charity and truth allows for receptive engagement, but also a, a challenge in response. And Bishop Tai, you want to come in on this, and we'll have a last question before opening to the floor. Yeah. yeah, this takes a second. One of the examples of this is a kind of a relatively high-level discussion that's been happening between some of the people from Silicon Valley and people from the church in a broader sense. And this actually was born from people in Silicon Valley who were saying, we're on the cusp of making extraordinary developments in the area of artificial intelligence. We're not really sure where this is going to take us. We do think it could have huge consequences for humanity. And we would like to hear from people from the traditional sources of wisdom to help us to reflect on this. Very clear that we're not going to allow you to tell us what to do or what not to do, but we realize that we're on the verge of something. And just to illustrate the, the cultural nature of that argument, it's not just, okay, get your best ethicists talking to the best technologists, but very soon we realized that the, some of the real issues had been best evoked by writers. Jonathan Eggers, or Jonathan Frenson and Eggers are two who have in novels have explored this. You find in cinema, which is, at a serious level also beginning, so that the artists have an intuition. The other thing that became very clear to us was in the discussion was, some of the questions were about, even one of the simpler questions is that the, as artificial intelligence develops, and more and more people may be displaced from work, in a world that's already marked by inequality, 
that that's going to become a greater inequality. So next thing is we need economists as part of our discussion. Next thing is we need lawyers and people with expertise in governance, because how is this going to be shaped? And it's, I think, a model just of a type of conversation focused on one issue, but then begins to draw in different perspectives and with people trying to learn from each other to get a more holistic overview of the issue. And it, it kind of illustrates some of the points, and it's a kind of a, a feature. And within that, then, as the confidence grew over a number of meetings, then the willingness of people to be more directly critical of each other, not out of any negativity, but out of a desire to provoke them and make them go that little bit deeper and think through the consequences of what they were saying. So as the respect and the friendship grew, actually the frankness of the dialogue became more marked. That's very helpful. Um, just before we open to plenary conversation, one last point I'd like to draw out, uh, and it's really implicit in what you've been saying, each of you. What's the, what's the place of um, the, 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 the secular research pluralist university in this kind of conversation? I mean, one way of answering that would be to so say, that's where all these different interests and disciplines come together. But in what ways are, is the Pontifical Council particularly working? I'm not thinking so much of Catholic universities and Catholic space, but you know, the, the secular, the pluralist, the public. In, in what sense is that a privileged um, context and opportunity for pursuing this kind of dialogue? And, and how can the Pontifical Council engage with that? And then we'll, we'll, we'll open to the, pub, the public. Nel discorso che ha fatto il professor Marx, da quella parola che ha detto secolare, perché il mondo che noi consideriamo è tendenzialmente il mondo cosiddetto secolare. So just related to pick up one of your words in describing the university as a non-Catholic. Noi non abbiamo rapporti evidentemente con molte università cattoliche. We don't have so many uh, links with, with, non, uh, uh, with Catholic universities. Con accademie cattoliche, con istituzioni o ambiti anche ecclesiastici. Normal. We definitely have a lot of links with uh, various Catholic academies or uh, Catholic institutions, Catholic centers. Però l'elemento più interessante per noi è l'elemento che consideriamo differente rispetto alla nostra visione. But we are particularly interested in um, establishing or developing a dialogue with institutions that are not that are allegedly different from, from us in our opinion. Ecco, e qui io vorrei però che il concetto di secolarizzazione fosse distinto. But I would like to distinguish a bit the very concept of secularization. Anche per spiegare come il nostro di Castero è sostanzialmente, vuole essere secolare. Non l'evangelizzazione. 
of also to explain and further underline how um, um, the Commission wants to be different from uh, a form of evangelization. In fact, it wants to be secular. Esiste una concezione secolaristica che nega la funzione, la presenza pubblica di qualsiasi affermazione religiosa. There is a, a common view, or a shared view, that, that, that is a kind of form of secularization according to which um, the religious thought does not have a place in, in the public sphere, in the public uh, space. Nella società. And in society, yes. Deve essere una realtà nell'interno delle volute d'incenso del Tempio, dei ceri e della preghiera e nell'interno del Tempio della persona. It's basically a religious speech or a religious position can only find its place either in the temple with column and incense or in the fort interior, no? or in the, in the uh, in interiority. E questo può degenerare, può diventare forma aggressiva con la persecuzione. And this can become, can degenerate into a form of aggression or even persecution towards religion. In parallelo negativo, parallelo, esiste il clericalismo. As opposite to the, this form of secularism, uh, there is also a clericalism. Che è la tentazione invece di estendere lo spazio del sacro, del tempio, anche nella piazza pubblica. Which is basically the, uh, the temptation or the attempt to um, expand the religious idea to everything, also to the body. Ecco, la visione perfetta invece, a nostro avviso, è quella della secolarità. Difficult to translate. Now, our perfect vision is not a secularistic one, but it's one of secularity or secular. Secular. Secular as such. E io sempre, ecco, il sempre, se si vuole, ecco, tra laico e laicismo. Eh? Yes. Eh, io dico sempre che il fondatore del cristianesimo era un laico, non un prete. Uh, I always say that the founder of Christianity was a lay person, was not a priest. Gesù. Lo dice la lettera agli ebrei. Gesù Gesù si dice: se fosse ancora sulla terra oggi non sarebbe sacerdote. Gesù, perché Mosè a proposito della tribù di Giuda non dice nulla riguardo al sacerdozio. Because Moses, talking about the tribe of Judas, doesn't say anything about priesthood. Gesù, quindi, è un laico e, naturalmente, introduce il sacerdozio, ma con un'altra visione, è laico perché non è della tribù di Levi. And therefore, uh, um, Jesus is lay, a layman, because he is not of the tribe of Levi. 
Ora, proprio questo, questa figura introduce quel principio che è fondamentale, difficile da realizzare, ma fondamentale da affermare. And therefore, actually, this image um, introduces uh, uh, cosa? Sì, il principio fondamentale. Sì, Rendete a Cesare quel che è di Cesare, rendete a Dio quel che è di Dio. Ecco, in questo caso noi ci atteniamo a questo principio, stando noi che siamo uomini di Chiesa, stando nell'interno dell'orizzonte nel quale c'è il mondo secolare. And so we try to obey uh, this principle uh, even while we are part or we try to be in the world and part of the so-called secular world. Per dialogare con esso non per imporre il sacralismo, la ierocrazia, la teocrazia to engage in a dialogue with that world and not to impose upon that world a sacred view. Bishop Ty, you wanted to come in on this? Just briefly. Very, very briefly. One thing that I think was, that I noticed when I came to work in culture is that most bishops' conferences and certainly very few dioceses have a structure that looks like the kind of thing we're trying to do. If that's a structure for dialogue with society in the broadest sense. And I think the Catholic universities can become that by having a mission simply by working and dialoguing with other universities and other institutions. And I think the Cardinals, one thing that I think is, it's almost fun in our job at times, is you get invited to some of the most unusual places. And I say this on the back of being at South by Southwest and at a kind of a, a strange culture festival in the States, which is really another one, the Web Summit in Europe. And people say, what are you doing here? And the basic answer is to say, we were invited. And in a world in which the church isn't, we can be lamenting we're being excluded. When we are invited, when we have the possibility of dialogue, of engaging, we should be accepting that without fear. And I think that's one of the things that we would like as a council. I think the Vatican works best when it doesn't do everything. The real strength of our church is at the local level, but to encourage local churches to think about what an engagement with civil society might look like in the specific cultures in which they find themselves. Thank you. Uh, you'll have gathered conversations take time. Um, we're going to expand our time a wee bit, um, but let's move over to some plenary discussion now. There's all sorts of issues that we've um, not even begun to touch upon. The how do we engage the fluidity, the dynamism of um, local culture, youth culture? Um, what about cultures within the church and sometimes not always entirely healthy cultures in the church? There's a whole range of things that we can um, uh, um, open up. So let's um, move over to some plenary conversation. Well, um, I was a good choice to have a naturally very concise speaker, so I really won't keep you very long. But um, I, I know from experience it's very hard to live up to Paul Murray's um, effusive introductions. Uh, he's done them on me and it's, it's very embarrassing. But this is one case where I think we really have had someone show his polymathic 
um, omnivore brilliance to us in, in the, the, the Cardinal's uh, conversation, which ranged from uh, neuroscience to aesthetics to novels to um, artificial intelligence, uh, theology, economics, industrial culture, fashion. So um, I was thinking that it, it, if you try to imagine what's it like to live in the middle of the Vatican bureaucracy, which is after all what the Curia is, it doesn't normally, you wouldn't expect it to sound this much fun. <laughs> so I, I suspect that if you're such a polymathic person, then this must really be the very best job in the Vatican. Um, and it's, it's been it's been very nice to um, hear it opened up for us to get a little bit of a flavor of it, which I think um, the dialogue format works surprisingly well to model and um, inform us about a, a, a bureaucratic work that's deeply committed to dialogue. Um, and even the translational um, aspect of it, I think, worked strikingly well. Uh, I've never heard that Italian sounds so beautiful, so I'm very happy to listen to it. I was happy to have the translation. It's been a very brain-stretching um, session. I, I was encouraged by Bishop Paul saying that um, he's, he's been in this post for two and a half years and he thinks he begins to understand what the Council for Culture does. I'm not sure that we will entirely understand it simply from listening, but we've had a peek into it. And, one thing I think is interesting to think about some of the metaphors, the courtyard of culture, and then another more familiar metaphor is the public square. Um, and it's interesting to think about those, if you think about that wise line about whoever controls the platform has the authority. So when you hear the phrase that the courtyard of the Gentiles, courtyards come inside larger complexes, normally, I suppose. You have a have a palace, you have an avenue, it has a courtyard somewhere. So when I hear that in the Vatican there's somebody who has a courtyard of the Gentiles, I imagine, okay, so there's a space created within the church's central complex in which culture and dialogue are going to happen. So that's that's one sort of analogy. The public square is a, is, is a different geographical image because there there's a square that's out in the public and then if all goes well we hope that the Catholic voice can be one of the religious voices that can be genuinely heard and contributed. So the, the geography of those two images is very different and it, it makes me think that the, the, the role of the, of the, um, the uh, this part of the Vatican for culture, um, the Council for Culture, seems intrinsically impossible to deal with all arts and all sciences and industrial culture um, and everything and the world has many cultures in it and to think about all those things and dialogue with all those things in relation to faith and that sense of bringing that all in it seems both impossible but um, somehow profoundly wonderful that the attempt is being made um, and so, so very good to hear a little bit about it um, yeah, it's an extraordinary thing for a bureaucracy to suppose that it can do, that it can enter into dialogue with everything, but it seems that something very wonderful has come out of it. So, um, yeah, so I think I, I just want to end with a, a note of thanks for, for, for giving us a little glimpse into this wonderfully rich, uh, rich world.
you've just had the, the page turned a little for us uh, on something of the wonders of the workings of the council. Uh, for those who uh, are stimulated and interested and enticed to learn more, visit the website. And uh, there's a really remarkable series of events that the Pontifical Council has been engaged with, with the, uh, the Biennale in Venice every um, two years. And uh, this year, uh, a really remarkable project in relation to architecture where I think it's 10 chapels, is it, yeah, that chapels, you, you have, you've had built. Don't you just say a very brief word about that, Paul? Which will... Just one of the projects is that Cardinal Ravazzi, working with an architect in Venice, has invited 10 world-known architects from different parts of the world to build chapels on the island of San Giorgio, which is opposite St. Mark's Square. And so, and they're fully built, they're not just sketches or models, they're fully built chapels in very different styles, reflecting from different cultures, from believers, from non-believers. There's a Japanese artist or architect who has followed the tea room example, and just simply Norman because there's Foster, not time. Foster. Norman Foster has done one of them, who is perhaps particularly, but essentially, Paul had put me two seconds, you're invited. If anybody is in Venice between the 25th of May and November, for any, we would be delighted if you would go over and visit, and if you let us know in advance, we'd be happy to set up something to explain it to you. And it's just an example, but again, maybe the real thing would be a nice idea for a diocese to say, could we sponsor an architectural um, competition for young architects to reflect on some aspect of church so that the area of faith stays alive in the area of art where it so strongly belongs. Thank you. Okay. So this is, as, this is as small and intimate as a conversation and as large and ambitious as that kind of event. So um, my final word of thanks for you two being here to open this up for us. And I think to begin a conversation, to begin a conversation, to begin an exploration, to begin um, an exploration as how we can work together in doing something that is both intimate and real, and perhaps also ambitious and significant. We thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you.